well. If you would turn to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3 is a a familiar passage. (coughs) Excuse me. It's a familiar passage to many of us. Um, You've probably heard this story since you were were young, if you've been um, in youth group or in the children's ministries. Daniel chapter 3 is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we know how that story goes. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're, they're put this option before them to bow down to this golden image, and they choose not to do it. And so they're really in big trouble. Nebuchadnezzar is very angry with them. So in Daniel chapter 3, I'll start reading in verse 14. The Bible says, Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now, if be ready, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, sultry, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made. Well, but if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. So we find in this story Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three young men, and they are defying Nebuchadnezzar. Now something that you need to understand here is that Nebuchadnezzar was probably the most powerful man on the planet at that time. He was the king of Babylon. Babylon was a very powerful nation. They had conquered um, other nations, and so really a a very powerful guy. And they're standing face-to-face with him saying, we're not going to do what you tell us to do. And so he's very angry. Um, But I love, it's very interesting, his question found at the end of verse 15. It says, And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? That's a very peculiar question. See, if I were Nebuchadnezzar, here I am, the most powerful man on the planet, and three young guys defy me. What am I going to say? Honestly, like, what is my response? I'm probably going to say, who do you think you are? Who gave you authority to stand up to me? Do you realize that I could have you killed right here, right now? And essentially, he is saying that, but his question automatically goes to, who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? And I believe he knew who that God was based on the previous chapter. In chapter 2, Daniel had translated the, the dream of the king, and he came to know who the true God was. He understood that, and he knew that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego served the same God. But his question was, who is that God? And I love the response found in verse 17. At the beginning, it says, If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us. They didn't say the God of our fathers, the God of our church, the God of our country, the God of my family. They said, our God. God was personal to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And that is where it all begins with each of us. God must be personal to you. Not based on anyone else's relationship with God, but a personal relationship. So when I was growing up, um, I was actually the youngest of nine. So I had four older brothers and four older sisters. And um, everyone says, oh, you must have been so spoiled. 
No, I was abused. I was abused by all of my siblings, and I have the scars to prove it. Um, but having said that, growing up in a big family, I never really had a whole lot of alone time with, with my parents. And so one day, it was just mom and I on the way to the grocery store. And she took that opportunity to ask me if I knew if I died today if I was going to heaven. And I said, well, yeah, of course I am. And she said, how do you know? And I thought about it for a minute, and I said, well, you're going to heaven, and dad's going to heaven, and all of my other siblings are going to heaven, so I'm going to heaven as well. And she pulled the car over, and she took a Bible, and she explained to me that it's not through anyone else's relationship, but it's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that gets you to heaven. And that's essentially what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are saying here, our God. They're claiming God as a personal God to them. So in verse 17, they say that God is going to deliver us. Our God's going to deliver us. And then in verse 18, essentially what they're saying, but if not, so they're saying if God doesn't deliver us, we're still not going to serve your, your gods. Now, again, imagine the most powerful man on the planet. They just said, we're not going to do what you said. God's going to take care of us. And if God doesn't, we're still not going to do what you said. He didn't take that very well. He's, he's the most powerful man alive. And you can understand why he gets so angry. And we know later in the story that he gets so angry that he lights the furnace seven times hotter than it should be. And some of his own men were, were burned up as they tried to throw them in the fire. And we know the great miracle that happened when they went into the fire unburnt and, and came out. God did a great work through this and a great miracle. Why? Because God was personal to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they had faith to stand up for what they believed. If you would turn to Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43, there's a, a principle here that I think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they understood, and Nebuchadnezzar did not understand. Um, in Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 11, verse 11 says, I, even I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. Verse 12, I have declared and have saved and have showed when there was no strange God among you. Therefore, ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am God. Yea, before the day was, I am he, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. I will work, and who shall let it? So God is, is talking about his children, and he's saying, I have my children in my hand. So Nebuchadnezzar saying, I have you in my hand, and who's that God that's going to get you out of it? And God is saying, I have my children in my hand, and no one is going to take them out of it. And I think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they understood this principle that, yes, their physical lives were in danger when it came to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had the power to kill them. But they knew that God was in control, God was going to take care of them, and if God didn't save them through this, they still weren't going to do it because they were going to honor and glorify God with their lives. They had faith that God could take care of them. And through that, we have this, this great story that we're talking about even today why? Because they put that faith to the test and they stood up for what they believed in. God was personal to them, and through that, they stood up for what they believed. If you would turn to 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17 is, again, another very familiar passage that we've probably heard many times, especially as um, children. It's the story of David and Goliath. And David, David is standing up to, to Goliath. Goliath was an unbeaten champion. He was, he was a warrior, and he was a seasoned warrior, and no one was willing to stand up to him, and yet David did. 
In 1 Samuel 17, I'll start reading in verse 32. The Bible says, And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock, and I went out after him, and smote him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, and smote him, and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion, and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. Does this sound familiar to the story that we just read with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? David is saying, God's going to deliver me from imminent death. See, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were going to get thrown in a fire. And realistically, what's going to happen when you get thrown in a fire? You're, you're going to get burnt up. And what's, what's going to happen when a young shepherd boy goes out to fight an unbeaten champion that's over nine foot tall? He's going to die. So David is saying, God's going to deliver me from imminent death, just as he delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. For the sake of time, I'll just read over in Daniel chapter 6 the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Again, another familiar passage. You see a trend here. I love familiar passages because I'm a simple guy. <laughs> um, Daniel chapter 6, I'll just read verse 16. The Bible says, Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. How did the king know that God was going to deliver Daniel from imminent death with the lions? I believe he looked at Daniel's life and he saw his faith. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had faith to stand up for what they believed. David had faith that God was going to take care of him. Daniel had faith, and now other people are looking at his life and saying, God's going to take care of him. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that may have been the first time in their lives that they had to stand up for what they believed. I don't know. We don't have a record of all of that, but maybe it was their first time. David is saying, you know what? God took care of me with the lion and the bear, and he's going to take care of me again. So he was a bit of a veteran. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are first-timers. David's a veteran, and now Daniel. Daniel's such a veteran that other people are looking at his life and saying, God's going to take care of that guy. Why? Because of his faith, God's going to take care of him. And of course, we know how that story ends as well. God did take care of Daniel. So we see what great faith all of these men had, right? I mean, all throughout these stories, incredible faith to stand up in the face of imminent death. Really, I mean, they were all going to die, all of these stories. But they had faith that God was going to take care of them. But I want to take it a step farther than just faith this evening. If you would turn to James chapter 2. James chapter 2 is, is a passage known for the correlation between faith and works. And when it comes to salvation, it's by faith, period. There's no works that you can do to get to heaven. Strictly by faith. It's through what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. But when it comes to serving God, it takes more than just faith to serve God. In James chapter 2 and verse 14, the Bible says, What did it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? 
If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. And then down in verse 26, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego for a moment. Imagine them standing there and talking amongst each other and saying, you know, I have faith that God can take care of us. I have faith that God's going to deliver us. But for the sake of ease, for the sake of not getting in trouble, for the sake of keeping our good jobs that we have, let's just bow down. It's the easy thing to do, right? Just, just kind of bow down and pretend. You don't actually have to worship this golden image. We can just pretend. I mean, I have faith that God can take care of us, but let's just bow down. Everything will be fine. Nebuchadnezzar will look over us. End of the day, you know, we go home, have a good meal, come back tomorrow. That would have been the easy thing to do, right? And they still had faith. But they didn't just do that, did they? They actually stood up to Nebuchadnezzar. Why? Because having faith alone, when it comes to serving, is not sufficient. It requires us to do something. And so they actually stood up to Nebuchadnezzar. And through that, a great miracle was done. David and Goliath. David could have said, you know what? This giant is defying the armies of the living God, and, and God could take care of him. God doesn't need me to take care of this giant. I mean, I don't believe that God was being glorified through him defying his armies. So God could have just said, yep, that's Goliath. Done. No more. But David said, okay, I have faith that God could take care of him but I'm actually going to do something about it. So David goes out and he starts collecting up stones to go to battle with someone that's definitely going to kill him. I mean, hands down, he's going to, he's going to take out David. He said, I have faith that God, God can get me through this. He still had to do something about it, right? If he had just pulled up a lawn chair and said, okay, let's, let's see what God does with this guy. God still had to use someone to do that. And so he did, he used David. And again, we have this, incredible story of God doing a miraculous work through not just David's faith, but his works as well. Daniel and the lion's den. We didn't read the whole story, but um, going back, they basically said, no one is allowed to pray or ask of anything except the king. And if you do, you're going to get thrown in the lion's den. So you know what Daniel does? He goes home, and the Bible says that he prays out loud next to an open window. Think about that for a second. That's foolish. I mean, Daniel, Daniel must have been a very foolish guy, right? Because that's not very logical. If, if they told me, I'm going to be thrown in a pit of, of hungry lions if I pray, you know what I'm going to do if I'm Daniel? I'm going to go home, and I'm going to close the door, and I'm going to lock it. I'm going to go in my bedroom, and I'm going to close the door, and I'm going to lock it. And then I'm going to go in my closet, and I'm going to pray quietly. Because that's the logical thing to do, right? But Daniel, he said, you know what? I have faith. I don't just have faith but I'm actually going to put that faith to the test. And so he prays out loud next to an open window where people can hear him. Through that, through putting his faith to the test, he ends up getting thrown into the, to the lion's den, and God is glorified through that. And a great work is done, not just because of his faith, but because he was willing to put that faith to the test. 
I have other passages here that we won't, we won't read, but Abraham and Isaac in Genesis 22, the story where Abraham is taking his son up onto the mountain to <laughs> sacrifice him. God said, sacrifice your son. And so he's taking his son up the mountain, and Isaac looks to his dad and says, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says, God's going God's to provide one. And so they get up onto the top of the mountain, and they didn't just sit down and have a picnic and wait for God to provide a sacrifice. He built an altar, and he put his son on it, and he was going to go through with what God told him to do. He got out his knife, and then God provided the sacrifice. Why? Because Daniel did, or, sorry, Abraham didn't just have faith, but he was putting his faith to the test by doing what God told him to do, and then God provided. Uh, think of the passage of, uh, in Matthew 14 when Peter walks on the water. This is my favorite example because um, they're out on the water at night and there's a storm and they see a spirit walking on the water. And they say, I think that that is Jesus, maybe. And Jesus says, be not afraid. He says, it's me, it's Jesus. And Peter says, which is just off the wall. I, I have no idea why Peter would ever say anything like this. He says, Jesus, if that's really you, tell me to get out of the boat and walk on the water. Are you crazy? I mean, he's essentially saying to Jesus, if you're really Jesus, require me to do something impossible. And so what does Jesus say? He says one word. He says, come. And so Peter says, all right, all right, I believe you. I believe that it's really you. You said it's you, and you've told me to get out of the boat. I'm comfortable right here. What did, what did Peter do? He got out of the boat. Why? Because he had faith, but he was willing to put that faith to the test. He was willing to do something about his faith. And so, as Christians, we often talk about our faith. We were just walking around Hobby Lobby earlier today, and we walked down the aisle, and there's all these signs that say, faith, faith, and they're cute little Pinterest letters, and, and it drives me nuts. But anyways, um, <laughs> it, you see faith everywhere. We talk about our faith all of the time. I have faith, I have faith, I have faith. But is having faith just enough when it comes to serving Christ? You have to take it a step farther. When it comes to salvation, faith is sufficient. Trusting that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins is sufficient for salvation. But when it comes to following Christ, to being a disciple of Christ, a Christian, what is a Christian? A Christian is literally a replica of Christ. That's what a Christian is. And so as it comes to, to being like Christ... It's not just enough to sit around and say, I have faith. I have faith that God can save Decatur. Is that sufficient? Is God going to save Decatur that way if we all just sat here and never moved? Guess what? It's going to require something of us. We mentioned earlier in the video, there's roughly 3.1 billion people on the planet right now that don't know the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can we just sit here and say, I have faith that God's going to save them. God can save them. He can do that. What if no one ever went to tell them? Would they get saved? No. Why? Because it requires something of us. It requires us to put that faith to the test. And so in your community here, you know people that I don't know, just like I know people you don't know. You may have a job, people that you've worked with for 20 years, you have family that you know that you have influence with. Who is a better person to reach your family than yourself? I mean, I know my family. I know the ins and outs, and I know who has what personality, and I know what gets them fired up, and I know what calms them down, because they're family. So if someone's going to reach my family, who's the prime candidate to do that? 
Well, I am. Same thing for you. You have family that I will probably never have influence over. But you do. Why? Because you're family. Same thing with people you work with. You may have worked with someone for 20 years on the same job, and you have influence with them that I don't have. So when it comes to reaching this community, is it Pastor Chris's job to reach the community? Can he do that by himself? Or maybe the staff, some of these guys? Can they do it by themselves? No, it's each of our jobs to reach our community and to, to have enough faith, but not just faith, putting that faith to the test and reaching out and reaching those around us. And it spreads. It spreads like wildfire. You reach some people and they reach some people. And that's the biblical model here is reaching out from one person reaching another person. That's how God's work is accomplished. And so my challenge to you this evening is, do you have faith? Do you know God personally? Do you have salvation? Is God personal to you? That's where it must begin. We can talk about faith and works and all of these things. It means nothing if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. If you do know him as your Savior, do you have faith? And if you do have faith, are you willing to put that faith to the test and trust God for whatever he has in your life? Don't just tell me about your faith. Show it to me. Just the passage in, in James, he's saying, I'll show you my faith by my works. And they go hand in hand as to how to follow Christ. All the stories that we mentioned tonight, they're great stories. They're incredible stories. They're God doing a great work, A, because they had faith, but because they were willing to put that faith to the test. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How are people in this community going to hear about Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection if someone doesn't tell them? So it's, it's something that we have to do. It's going to require something from each of us, from the, from the children all the way up to, to the oldest person in this church. Your job is to reach your community. And you know what? It spreads from, from this community. The biblical example is Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. That is missions. But where does it start? It starts right here in Decatur. In the churches in Dallas, it starts there. In the churches in Fort Worth and Houston, it starts there. And it spreads. And when that happens, the gospel gets to the ends of the earth. The Bible says in Matthew 9, verse 37, Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. The Bible says that the laborers are few. When this was written some 2,000 years ago, <coughs> excuse me, there weren't enough laborers. Do you think that's still true today? We don't have enough laborers to reach not just this community, but Texas and all of America and all of the world. We're still facing the exact same problem that they faced in that day. And that is that the laborers are few. And so you might say, well, God hasn't called me to be a missionary or a pastor. That doesn't really give you an excuse to not do God's work because it's something that each of us should be doing as a follower of Christ. It's not just having faith, but putting that faith to the test. I think back to the story of Daniel, and I'll close, or sorry, the story of David. I'll close with this. That on that day, I know God had a big plan for David. David did a lot of great things, and God used him in a mighty way. But on that particular day, 
What made David any different than everyone else on that battlefield? There were a lot of, a lot of uh, soldiers there willing to fight, and they were there and, you know, to do the work of that nation. But what made David different? David had a willing heart to do whatever needed to be done to get the job accomplished. And God used him to do that. But maybe someone else, maybe one of David's brothers said, you know what, God's going to take care of me. I'll go out and do this task. Do you think God could have used one of David's brothers? I believe he could have. So the only thing that made David different was his willingness to do God's work. And so I'm challenging you this evening, are you willing to let God use you to do his work here in this community, maybe in Texas, maybe somewhere else in the States, maybe to the ends of the earth? Are you willing to let God put your faith to the test and step out of the boat and say, I'll do whatever God wants me to do. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity to be here and talk about your